the Gospel of John. Well, tonight we are going to really have to move it. This book is so rich. All the books of the Bible are, and all the Gospels are. And as with any book, we could take a lot more time than what we do, really. But we're trying to do this as an overview. And, you know, we're heading on Route 66, Route 66 there, and trying to make our way through. So uh, with the Gospel of John tonight, there's going to be a lot in there. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to spend so much time on trying to outline the whole book itself is try to, as we try to do hit highlights. And um, this, um, this gospel is, um, uh, you know, like the other three, it has, you know, different um, uh, vantage point in the sense of it's looking, uh, you know, at a different perspective at the same thing, at the, at the life of our Savior, at His uh, ministry, at His death, burial, and resurrection, as all of them do. But again, uh, John will include some details that the others do not. And so let's get right into John tonight, Gospel of John, and look at it. And we'll see how it compares with the other three Gospels as we've been trying to do with, um, with each of those. And uh, the, there are a lot of slides tonight, a lot of things on the slides at least tonight. And so I don't know how many notes you take. If you want to take notes, if you maybe want to just take notes on highlights that, are, that interest you, but... Um, um, if you want to, you know, uh, go back and listen to this at some point, uh, maybe try to hear some of the things that you might have missed first time, because there is certainly a lot in the Gospel of John. Uh, so have you found a favorite yet um, in, in the Gospel accounts? I'm, I'm sure uh, a lot of us probably after tonight will say John probably is. And um, uh, of course, I like them all. And I like thinking and looking at how each of them have their viewpoints and their uh, the, the way they highlight and the way they emphasize some things over the other, it just shows a beautiful picture of how they fit together in Scripture and uh, just gives us a greater appreciation as we study not just one of them, but all four of them, and especially the way it fits in with the rest of Scripture. Uh, the Gospel of John, as we've been looking at in each of our books, there's a, a theme found. It's sometimes it's a word found throughout there, like it was especially in the, in the Minor Prophets. We saw a word that was, uh, or sometimes a phrase, that was found several times throughout that book. Um, in the Gospel of John, he, spend, he, he emphasizes, and it's not that Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not mention this, but he emphasizes especially Jesus as the Son of God. Uh, we looked at Luke last week, and we talked about how Luke emphasized the aspect of him as the Son of Man. That is, he talked about Jesus in his perfect humanity. Uh, it wasn't that he didn't say that Jesus was God or in any way, um, you know, uh, in his writings tried to uh, discredit him and say that he wasn't God. He just highlights that. And so, again, each book has its way of highlighting, and this, has, uh, this book emphasizes Jesus as the Son of God. Um, there are 21 chapters in the Gospel of John. When we looked at the book of Matthew, we said that it was written basically mostly uh, to a Jewish audience, um, to Israel. And the emphasis throughout Matthew, there's a lot in there that directly deals with and points to Israel. Um, and so uh, his emphasis was Jesus as King of the Jews. Mark's Gospel, um, it's the shortest of the Gospels, and we said it's what we call the Action Gospel, and Mark's gospel, uh, has, it portrays Jesus as a servant. And then Luke's gospel has Jesus, as I already mentioned, as the perfect you know, man, as, as Jesus is the Son of Man, the perfect man. And I'll, I'll look at some more comparison in a moment. The key words in the Gospel of John are the word believe and the word faith. Uh, the word faith is, of course, the noun of the, noun, um, of, of the same word. And the word uh, believe is a verb. And so um, these two are both they're, they're the same word. Uh, and if you, you know, if you're interested in Greek, if you want to look at Greek, it's the same Greek word. It's just you have the noun um, of it and the verb of it. And so in English, uh, believe is the verb, faith is noun. And uh, if you'll go with me, we're going back and look at the key verse, and we'll probably come back to it in a moment. Uh, the book, or excuse me, the Gospel of John does not mention repentance one time. Uh, the other books at some point do. Uh, for whatever reason, mostly repentance found in the gospel accounts, the other three accounts, have to do with John or Jesus telling, telling them that the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom of God is at hand. They mention both. And to tell it to, for Israel to realize their Messiah is there. 
And so repentance in the other three books usually have something to do with Israel as, and uh, to receive their Messiah. But nevertheless, the word repent is not found in the Gospel of John at all. Interestingly enough, chapter 20 and verse 31 is our key verse. We don't always look at a key verse in every book. We want to hear. And this tells us, it spells out exactly why the main reason the Gospel of John was written. Verse 31, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. So as uh, Paul in his letters emphasizes the importance of faith, and especially Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9, that that, um, uh, we're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. And so um, the Gospel of John emphasizes believing in Jesus Christ as Savior. And that is simply what the Gospel is. And as I mentioned a little bit in Sunday morning's message, you know, people want to talk about uh, that that's just too, too, too easy. Well, if it was easy, more people would do it instead of trying to trust in their own works. That's why over and over and over, uh, John either uh, himself writes the words or records Jesus talking about believing, faith, believing. All right, now that is a foundation. We'll move on in. So um, Jesus' life and ministry, of course, is about 30 to 33 A.D., if our calendar's right. And so John actually does not write this until way later on in his life, uh, 88 to 90 A.D., uh, at the, towards the end of his life, end of his ministry. And then uh, just as a side note, Revelation, the last book of the Bible, which John wrote also, was not uh, for a couple more years after that, anywhere from, uh, depending on when he wrote John, anywhere from, you know, two to, uh, or three to about, I don't know, six or seven years later that he wrote the book of Revelation. So that just gives you an idea. And as far as we know, John was the youngest of the disciples and um, being the youngest, he was, uh, he was also the only one to die a natural death as far as we know. So he lived to a, to a ripe old age and uh, of at least 90, maybe 91 or two actually. And anyway, so um, that's just a, gives you a kind of a ballpark idea of when it was written. So we're going to go on the scenic route already. So John has an emphasis on believing. Chapter 1, we'll just read a couple of these. We won't have time, of course, for all of them. But there are actually a couple of slides of this. So uh, I'll, if you want to write them down, if you want to, um, and if you make notes in your Bible and you want to go back and, and kind of make a train in your notes, uh, maybe if you have a margin Bible that you can do that. Chapter 1, verse 12, we'll just read the first, uh, we'll just read the ones on this slide and then I'll give you some more. Chapter 1, verse 12. Notice how many times you hear believe. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Of course, chapter 3, verse 16, everyone's probably memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And then verse 36 in the same chapter, this is actually um, um, John the, even though John the Apostle is writing this, these are words of John the Baptist, because if you go back in verse um, 24 and 25, you'll see that he's been, that, that it's him that's the uh, one that's talking. And he says in verse 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So believe is found all through the book. Let's look at two more. Chapter 5 and verse 24 is another one. Uh, verily, verily, verily means truly. Um, this, uh, it comes Basically it's found in a Latin word. It means verity or, or truthfulness. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Chapter 6 and verse 47. Uh, one more. Verily, verily, again, he says, repeats those words, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. So the emphasis all through the Gospel of John is on faith, is on believing. Uh, there's some more in uh, chapter 8, verse 24. Uh, this is a negative one, so let me read this one. This is kind of like the other side of the, of the coin. Um, Jesus saith unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is a servant of sin. That's not the right verse. Um, did I put 24? Where did I put 24? Oh, I'm reading 34. That's why. 24. Let's get to the right verse, Barry. Uh, there it is. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. So verse 24, chapter 8, puts it in the negative, saying if you don't believe. So 
uh, over and over again, um, over and over, he, he mentions believe. And of course, the slides I'm giving you are not all of them. It's just a lot of the, of the majority of them. 10 verse 9, uh, 11 verse 27, and 12 verse 46. All of these give the emphasis on believing. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, no man cometh to the Father but by me. Now, the, the word believe is, in, is not in that verse, but it's talking about that's how you approach the Father is through Jesus Christ. And then 2029, uh, we looked at a moment ago, a verse right past it that talks about believing, the importance of faith, of believing. So over and over, John's emphasis is on believing on Christ. Take another scenic route. So when you get to, this is what I was talking about um, a moment ago, but we'll look at the genealogy part. Matthew writes about Jesus as the king of the Jews. A king needs a genealogy. So in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, we see um, the genealogy of Jesus, or excuse me, Matthew, um, yeah, Matthew 1, then chapters 2 and 3, uh, after Jesus is born, we see the genealogy where it traces uh, back all the way back to Abraham, where as king of the Jews, it traces him to the first one, Abraham, who God called out to be, you know, to, for the nation of Israel. And then the Gospel of Mark, he's portrayed as a servant. A servant needs no genealogy, and there is no genealogy of Jesus, uh, of his ancestry in the book of Mark. The book of Luke, it portrays him as the perfect man. A perfect man would need a genealogy to prove where he came from. And so that one traces him, Luke traces him all the way back to Adam, actually, uh, to show that Adam, the, first, uh, the very first man, was created perfect, but he sinned. Jesus never sinned, and so it gives the contrast there when it shows uh, Jesus' genealogy. So a perfect man would need a genealogy. And then John uh, portrays him as a, or, or presents him as the son of God. God needs no genealogy, and so John does not include one in, in his book, uh, in his gospel account. So that's just a quick scenic route on the, on the gospels. Chapter 1, verse 1 to 18. So I'm starting out a little bit of outline here. We're, gonna, we're not going to be quite this detailed on it, but chapter 1, verse 18 uh, is the doctrine of what we call the incarnation. The word carn or carne or carnal is a word for flesh. So in other words, it's, it's the doctrine of Jesus uh, being God in a body of flesh, in a human body. That's the, the word incarnation is a theological term that simply means that Jesus had a human body. So uh, verses 1 to 18, we read one, one or two of those, one of those verses a while ago, uh, are about his incarnation, that he became or took upon himself uh, a human body and, and was born as a baby, uh, conceived of the Holy Spirit within Mary and then born as a baby. Uh, and so it, it talks about in chapter 1, verse 1 to 18, in the beginning was the Word. Capital W, we'll come back to that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So that's the closest thing you get to a genealogy in John because it simply begins just right out of the box how that Jesus indeed is God. And He's always been from the beginning. He wasn't created. He's not a created God like Jehovah's Witness and some other uh, groups would say. He's, uh, he is God, and he, he took on the form of a servant, Philippians 2.7 says that he um, humbled himself and uh, took upon himself the, the form of servant, that is, became uh, a man, became human being and in the likeness of men. And then 1 Timothy 3.16 tells us that the mystery of godliness is that God was manifest of the flesh. So uh, as you look at that outline, the very first 18 verses of chapter 1 talk about his incarnation. So rather than beginning with genealogy, it just right out of the box says that he definitely is God. Chapter 1 Verse 1 and verse 14, he's called the capital W, Word of God. He's the living Word, the Son of God. Now, the Bible, Ephesians 4, verse, I mean, excuse me, Hebrews 4.12, tells us that the Word of God, small w, is quick. That is, it's living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the living, written Word of God. So the capital W, when you see Word of God, uh, is, is uh, uh, concerning Jesus as the living Word God in the flesh. Now, a lot of times you'll read books where a writer will talk about the Bible and he'll call it the Word of God with a capital W, but uh, actually uh, the capital W is, is Jesus and the small w, Word of God, is, is uh, the Bible. So he's called the Word in uh, chapter 1, verse 1 and 14. Chapter 1, verse 19 to the end of the chapter, we have four star witnesses right as Jesus' ministry begins. Uh, the first one is John the Baptist. 
And chapter 1, verse 19 to 36, he calls Jesus in two places the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, verse 29 and verse 36. So when Jesus uh, is, is approaching John to be baptized and his ministry begins uh, at that point, uh, he identifies him as the Lamb of God. Andrew, in chapter 1, verse 37 to 42, a little bit shorter place, look at verse 41. It says this, He first findeth his own brother Simon. This is talking about Andrew. He finds his brother Simon, who we know also as Peter, Simon Peter, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, or the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. So here we see um, Andrew um, telling his brother Peter that we found him. He's the Messiah. He's the the Christ. He's the promised one that has come. Um, And some of them believed on him. When you know the first time when he came, most of them rejected him, but many of them did believe on him. Philip, uh, who also turns out to be a um, actually Andrew, Philip, and Nathaniel also end up being uh, you know followers, being disciples. Philip says uh, in chapter one, verse forty-three to forty-six, he talks about how Jesus came to fulfill the the uh, prophets. Uh, Philip findeth Nathaniel and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then uh, Nathaniel uh, turns around also, just as Andrew did to tell Peter, and um, the, uh, Philip tells Nathaniel, Nathaniel identifies him as the son of God. Look at verse uh, 49, if you're there. Nathaniel answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the son of God, thou art the king of Israel. So here we see Nathaniel identifies him correctly both ways. He is the son of God, the spiritual nature of Jesus, and he's also the king of Israel. Now, he, wouldn't take, he won't take the throne from this point in, the, in here in John for 2,000 years plus, but he will take the throne one day. So he correctly identifies him as both of those, the son of God and the king of Israel. So we see these star witnesses that identify him in that very first chapter. Chapter 2, Jesus cleanses the temple the first time. He comes back again later in his ministry, right before his crucifixion, and cleanses the temple again. Um, This time, as he comes in to cleanse the temple, he tells them, he said, destroy this temple, speaking of the temple of his body, and we'll raise it and I'll raise it and it'll be raised up the third day. And so they begin to talk among themselves. What is he talking about? The temple being destroyed. They're thinking of the physical temple. But Jesus cleansed the temple um, as his ministry began. And he says unto them, um, my father's house um, is is, uh, not to be a place of merchandise. And he says, uh, uh, um, my father's house is left unto you desolate. Then when the second time when he comes and cleanses the temple towards the end of his ministry, he said, your house is left unto you desolate. In other words, between the beginning and the end of his ministry, it's a way of him saying, you did not receive the one that came. So this is all, it's yours. If you want it, this is yours. You're not going to receive the, the Son of God as your, as your Messiah. Then it's only a temple, it's only a building, it's only form. Chapter 3, verse 1 to 21, and of course this isn't, isn't the whole chapter uh, there, but I'm just giving highlights in chapter 3, is about Jesus and Nicodemus. This is the place where Nicodemus, if you've seen The Chosen, they did a really good job, I think, on that on the, uh, uh, on that particular episode. It was early on, I think in the first season, where Nicodemus comes to um, uh, Jesus by night and he talks to him, or, or Jesus talks to him. And so um, he tells him there, uh, that, you know, you must be born again. And so this is the uh, the place where Jesus and Nicodemus talk. And by the end of John, I believe we find that Nicodemus, I believe he was a believer. I believe he trusted the Lord um, sometime maybe that night or maybe sometime after that. I think he trusted the Lord. Um, chapter 4, verse 1 to 30, is Jesus and the woman at the well where he's going through, uh, he tells his disciples, I must needs go through Samaria today. And they didn't like that. It's like, we don't want to go near Samaria. Why would we go there? Um, you know, these are the, those that were a uh, mixture of Jew and Greek together. We don't want to go to Samaria. Uh, why would we go there? And Jesus said, I'm going, you're going and get some food, and I'll meet you back later. And so he stops there at an appointment that he knew that God had for this woman at the well. And he talks to her, and uh, she trusts him uh, as her Savior. They're wonderful, wonderful uh, play, uh, passage about salvation. And then skipping over, uh, because we're, some of these gaps we'll come back to in, a, in, a, in another highlight in a moment. Jesus teaches chapter 7 at the Feast of the Tabernacles. And uh, John records this, whereas the others do not record it. 
but John records this uh, Feast of the Tabernacles where uh, that's uh, about this time every year, October or so roughly, depending on the calendar, how things fall, uh, is their time of Feast of Tabernacles. And so uh, it's, it's around the time of the Day of Atonement. And then um, we know that, you know, this last week the, the target was made at this, you know, specifically for this time because it was an anniversary uh, for Israel for 75 years. But anyway, he teaches at the Feast of Tabernacles would be right about this time of year. Chapter 8, verse 1 to 11 Everybody knows this uh, from Sunday school or, or sermons. I preached on it, in fact, not long ago. Uh, Jesus, where the Pharisees brought the woman that was supposedly caught in the act of adultery, and uh, Jesus told her, uh, you know, asked her, where are your accusers? And she says, there are, none, there are none, my Lord. He says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And so uh, chapter 8 uh, shows us that. Then the rest of that chapter, he has a confrontation with the Pharisees, which you might figure would happen after that, <laughs> because here they were trying to trap him or trick him with this, uh, saying that this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Uh, if she was, where was the man? All, all they brought forth was a woman. So according to the law, both had to be stoned, but they didn't bring the man. And so um, he had a confrontation with the Pharisees. Skipping a couple chapters for good reason, we'll come back to that. Uh, chapter 12, he's on his way to Jerusalem basically at this point. So... When you get to chapter 12, uh, somewhere in chapter 12, all the way to 21, uh, those, those chapters um, take you up to the cross, uh, where he's in Jerusalem from that time on. The cross, um, the um, uh, burial and resurrection, and then, as we'll see tonight, the time that he spends with the apostles after he rose from the dead. So uh, from that point on, he's heading in Jerusalem, and that's where he'll be until the end of the Gospel of John. Last Supper, chapter 13, where... Um, Jesus observes uh, what we call the Last Supper with them, and it's instituted by Paul as what we call communion, um, the Lord's table. And so um, they observe the Last Supper with him, and he washes the disciples' feet and shows them an act of humility and servanthood. And then while all that's going on, they're sitting there eating together. That's when Judas leaves and goes to, uh, to betray him for the 30 pieces of silver. Chapters 14 to 16, Jesus teaches us about the Holy Spirit. He teaches the apostles about it. And everything he has to say to them would come, it would come into its fullness uh, in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit comes down at Pentecost. But those, four, those three chapters, um, 14, 15, and 16, he spends um, um, most of each of those chapters talking about the Holy Spirit and about his ministry in their lives. And um, we'll look at some key verses at the end of the study tonight and tie back into that. Chapter uh, 17 is the actual Lord's Prayer. If you'll go there with me to chapter 17, um, read a few verses of this. Verse, um, pick up at verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. And this prayer goes all the way to the end. It goes 26 verses. Read, let's read a couple more. Look at verse, uh, let's read down to verse number uh, 6. Verse, pick up verse 2. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life. There's, there's that phrase again, eternal life. To as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that I might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. So the only work necessarily to get us to heaven is the work that Jesus did. Not our works, his work. He said, I've finished the work. And of course, as he's praying that, he's just hours away from the cross. But uh, as he's talking to the Father, that's what's ahead of him. Verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Again, going back to, to chapter 1, where it talks about in the beginning was the word. And he was in fellowship with the Father because he is, as we call him, the second person of the Trinity. Verse 6, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. That would be the disciples. Thine they were, and thou gavest them to me, and they have kept thy word. So in this chapter, we see him praying. Um, this is what's really the actual Lord's Prayer. Now, we see in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus, the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. And he says, pray after this manner, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so we call that the Lord's Prayer, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's really the disciples' prayer because they had asked him, teach us to pray, and that's how he taught them how to pray. And he gave them that pattern um, 
uh, our Father which art in heaven. He said, you know, forgive us our trespasses. We give those who trespass against us. And, and uh, you know, thine, uh, to thine be the glory and honor and power forever and ever. And so it gives them a pattern to pray by. But actually, this is actually the Lord's Prayer, if you want to call it that, because these verses, he spends time praying for the disciples. And also, he prays for you and me. Look at verse um, Look at verse number. Look at verse number. Pick up at verse twenty-three. I and them and thou and me that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and thou hast loved him as thou hast loved me. Father, I will they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for the for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. Um, uh, actually, okay, another verse uh, that, that fits in with that. Go back to verse um, 20. Neither pray I for these alone, talking about his disciples, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. And that's you and me. We believed on him. And so Jesus there before the cross that night, he prays a little bit for you and me right there. Because he says, I not only pray for these disciples, Father, but I'm praying for those who shall believe. And at that point, we're all future tense, right? So we believed on him. And so he prays for us there. In the, and this was in the Garden of Gethsemane. So the three times that he prays and he finds the disciples sleeping, somewhere in between those times, this is when he prays that prayer. So that's where that, that fits. Um, so verse 11, he calls God Holy Father. So sorry, Mr. Pope, but Holy Father's already taken. You're going to have to find another title. He, he allows his followers to call him Holy Father, and I think that's one of the most blasphemous things uh, that he does, among others. But anyway, he's not Holy Father. God is Holy Father. So anyway, he needs to find another title. Chapter 18, that's a side note, and I'll go preaching if I'm not careful. Chapter 18, the arrest and trial of Jesus. That's when he's uh, arrested and tried, uh, comes before Pilate, in fact, and that's where at the, end of the, um, uh, at the end of the chapter when he's standing before Pilate, and he asks him directly, Art thou the king of the Jews? Verse 34, Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered the enemy. What hast thou done? And then Jesus tells him, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, it could have been if they had believed on him uh, and accepted him as their Messiah, but they didn't. And so because of that, they rejected him and his kingdom would be later on. And then, um, so he, before Pilate, he, he's asked, art thou the king of the Jews? And then they release Barabbas. Look at verse um, 39. But you have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will you therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Isn't that something? They wanted uh, Barabbas not because they, um, because they liked him. They wanted Barabbas because they did not like the truth. Isn't that an amazing thing. They rejected their Messiah. Chapter 19 is his suffering, his death and burial. Uh, in chapter 19, where he goes to the cross and uh, the disciples, all but John, forsake him. And um, he uh, standing there at the cross, or while John's standing at the cross next to Jesus' mother, next to Mary, he tells him, he said, Behold thy mother, mother, behold thy son. In other words, he says, John, I want you to take care of my mother for me. And so, um, uh, so he did that, that very thing. So Jesus dies, of course, for your sins and mine. And um, Pilate, in verse 15, says unto him, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So at this point, the religious leaders in J Jerusalem had formally rejected their Messiah and rejected the kingdom that God had told them, uh, you know, centuries before. That kingdom's gone now. Uh, when, when Jesus came on the scene, John the Baptist says, uh, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And they would not receive the kingdom. And so the kingdom was gone. They rejected him. We'll get back to this, make a mental note, but we'll come back to this in the book of Acts, Lord willing, next week when we get into Acts chapter 1. Chapter 20, the resurrection of Jesus. He rises from the dead. He's raised from the dead. And there's the empty tomb. He is risen, uh, as he said. And uh, the disciples go uh, to see an empty tomb. And uh, the ladies are there before them. Uh, Mary Magdalene's mentioned in chapter 20, verse 1. They go to see an empty tomb, and they're all, you know, they're all distraught about it. They're in tears. What's going on? And the apostles, uh, John and, and uh, Peter, come to the tomb, and 
they realize he's not here. He's risen to go back to tell the others. John 20, verse 28 and 29 uh, is where Jesus had appeared uh, the first um, uh, the first time he appears to the disciples uh, earlier in the day on what we call Easter or Resurrection Sunday. And then he comes back that evening and Thomas isn't around. He comes and just basically walks through a wall, walks through a door without an opening. <laughs> he walks through a wall, actually. And then he appears to them and he says, um, you know, um, Peace, uh, peace be still. And he says, a spirit has not flesh and bones as you see me have. And they, they realize that, you know, Jesus risen from the dead. They see him in his glorified body. Thomas isn't there. And then the next Sunday, they're together again a week later, um, and Jesus appears to all of them. Thomas is there this time. And he had already said, except I see the print uh, of the nails in his hand, of his feet, where the spear went to his side, I will not believe. But he saw him, and he said, um, my Lord, my God. He believed but I love what that verse 29 says. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believed. That's you and me. We haven't seen him. We haven't seen his risen glorified body, but we believed. And so uh, we, we believed on him uh, as many would do then that, that probably never saw him and never would. Let's look at the uh, rest of this in chapter 21, verse 1 to 14. He appears to his disciples. So this, this chapter is very key, and we'll see in just a moment uh, the, the importance of this. But this chapter is very key. Um, the other three Gospels, as they end, Jesus has risen from the dead, and then the other three have something in there about Jesus uh, ascending back to heaven. And we looked at each of those uh, in the previous books, previous uh, studies of the, of the other three Gospels. We looked at that. But here, uh, it gives where Jesus uh, stays and remains after the, after the resurrection for a while. In chapter 21, later on, he appears to his disciples by the seaside, seashore, and he ends up, um, the Bible says that he sits there and he tells them, do you have any, you got anything to eat? Got any meat? Got any food? And they said no, and he tells them to cast the net on the right side of the ship. Verse 6 of chapter 21, they bring this huge uh, net of, of fish and um, they're able to eat fish together with him, and they talk with him, and that's when they realize it's the Lord. He says, come and dine. Come enjoy some fellowship with me, verse um, 12. And they take bread and fish, and Jesus in his glorified body was able to, to eat and enjoy fellowship with them. But after they dined, they, they had uh, uh, time together, Simon Peter is restored. Now this is important, very important. John includes this. The other three Gospels do not. John includes this, and this is an important bridge when you get to the book of Acts, because the one who preaches that very important sermon on the day of Pentecost was Peter. This is how we know that the time that Peter had denied the Lord, the night before he was crucified, was being tried. Remember, he denied him three times, just as Jesus said he would. So he restores him to the fold, so to speak, and um, Peter comes back into fellowship and the Lord tells him, feed my sheep. Tells him three times, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Tells him three times, Peter, feed my sheep. So when Acts begins, just um, weeks after this, when the book of Acts begins, the Holy Spirit comes down to Pentecost. Peter is the one that preaches that important message. But this chapter in the book of John, the Gospel of John, is what helps us to understand that. That he was restored after his time of denying three times, remember, just as Jesus said, and then he's restored. Isn't that a beautiful thing how the Lord includes that in the Gospel of John. Then as it closes out the Gospel account, verse 20 to 25, it uh, speaks of and, and, and shows us um, this important detail, the disciple whom Jesus loved and tells us who that is. If you go back to chapter 13, let's uh, run the references and look at this chain here. Chapter 13 and verse... 23, and this is, remember, John writes this gospel account. Now, there was one leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now, when you read into this chapter and then the other accounts of, of the what we call the Last Supper and the other gospels, that's John who's right there next to him. You imagine that? Here is John, the one who, as we're going to find out, is the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's right there. They reclined. They didn't sit in chair. You see the painting, was it Da Vinci or whoever? That's, that, that's not actual. They would basically recline on their side 
is the way they would eat a lot of times. And um, basically, so they're all kind of lying on a, on a floor that's probably not real big space because it's in an upper room. They're there in a room uh, together, and they're probably pretty close quarters, and there's John right there next to his chest. John could probably hear the heartbeat of God in the flesh. Isn't that an amazing thought? The blood that ran through his veins was not just regular blood. The Bible calls it the book of Acts. It says he's, he's God's own blood. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. And there's the heartbeat of the Son of God who created everything. That's an amazing thought. And he was right there. And he's called the disciple whom Jesus loved. Go over to chapter 19. We'll see another reference that has this in it. 19, verse 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Go to chapter 20, verse 2. Then she runneth, speaking of Mary Magdalene, comes to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they've laid him. Chapter 21, verse 7. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord. He girded his father's coat unto him, for he was naked. Don't know exactly why that. No, nobody's ever explained that directly. And did cast himself into the sea. But now look at chapter 21, verse 20, where we're ending up. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? So he's, you know, he's, he's narrowing it down. Look at verse 24. And this is the disciple which testifies of these things. I'm the one he described himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, seems unfair maybe to the others. Um, why would he descri describe himself that way? Well, Jesus, as, as the Lord does now, he doesn't have favorites, but he does have those who are closer to him. And so John was closer to him than any of the disciples. When you look at, at the, the gospel accounts, there are times where there are three that get to see what some of the others do not. Um, there was a, a couple of times where someone was, well, there was a time where someone was healed and someone was raised from the dead. And Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him. And then on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Moses and Elijah appeared, there was Peter, James, and John. So among the 12, and we know what happened to Judas Iscariot, among the 12, there were three that were kind of an inner circle. But even among them, John was the one that was closest to Jesus. So uh, for whatever reason, as the Lord chose him, he would be the one that would die a natural death where the others were all martyred, but he also would be the one that would be imprisoned uh, until his death, and the Lord gave him the book of Revelation for us. So John was closer. Uh, he wasn't a favorite, so to speak, but he was closer to Jesus than the other, and he describes himself that way. In the Gospel of John, a lot of the writers say there are seven miracles found in John, but I, I like to include one more important one and say there are eight. One is where he turns the water into wine. Only place that that's recorded in the Gospels is in John chapter 2, where he turns the water into wine. Uh, healing of the nobleman's son in chapter 4, verse 46 to 54, that's found in the other Gospels, or at least one or two others. Um, and that's the second of the miracles he that he uh, performs. The third is where he heals a paralyzed man in chapter 5, verse 1 to 9, and that also is the only place it's found. The other Gospels do not include that particular one. And then 6, verse 1 to 14, he feeds the 5,000. When we looked at Matthew, I believe it was a few weeks ago, we saw where there was a time where he feed, fed 5,000, then he turned around and fed 4,000 at a different time. So uh, he records the 5,000, uh, in John 6, verse 1 to 14. Then the fifth uh, miracle, and the others record this too, where he calms the storm when they're out in the water, and uh, the storm rises, and Jesus calms the water. And uh, the other gospel accounts talk about how Peter walked on the water. And then uh, he heals a blind man in chapter uh, 9, verse 1 to 7. That's the sixth one. And then chapter 11, verse 38 to 45, this is it's only found in John's gospel, uh, where he raises Lazarus from the dead. Uh, that's only found in John's Gospel, John chapter 11, verse 38 to 45. But I believe the eighth one, I think they, for whatever reason, they don't include, is his resurrection. To me, that's definitely a miracle. And uh, when you study and look at these, um, the raising of Lazarus, I believe, was like a precursor to everybody. Uh, this is a show, uh, this is a things to come, attraction of, you know, attraction to come. He raises Lazarus from the dead, and then just a short time later, 
He's crucified, and then Jesus himself rises from the dead. There are seven what we call the I am's in the Gospel of John. Um, Jesus seven times describes himself as the I am. Let me see if I wrote this down. I don't think I did. Back up, if you will, with me for just a moment. To We're getting close to the end here, to the book of uh, Exodus for just a moment. Back up to Exodus. Uh, I meant to put this in a slide, and I don't know why I missed this. Exodus chapter 3, where... Um, the Lord, in the first couple of verses, Moses is out in the desert, and there's this bush. He might have seen this bush many times before. Who knows? But this time when he saw it, it was on fire, and it didn't consume. It wasn't gone. It just burned and burned and burned, and it wasn't consumed, the Scripture says. Uh, so um, he sees that fire, and God speaks to him. And uh, Moses, as a lot of us do, we're human, but they won't listen to me, Lord, but I can't do this, Lord. Uh, and he says, yeah, you can. And then he says, um, in verse 11, uh, he talks to the Lord, says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt when God was telling him to do that? And so he talks to God and they talk back, back and forth. And he answers him question, his question in verse 13, What is his name? What shall I say unto them who God is? Look at verse 14. God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. So the Jews, especially the Jewish leaders that knew the Old Testament, they knew what that meant, that I am. That's a name reserved only for God the Father. They knew what that meant. So Jesus, in teaching his disciples, chapter 6, verse 35 to 51, he says, I am the bread of life. And he tells them, uh, I'm, I'm the living bread. And he, and he likens it, of course, to... Um, salvation and um, the bread, um, the, the spiritual bread, the bread of life will never hunger. Chapter 8 verse 12 and then he repeats in chapter 9 verse 5 he says I am the light of the world. But if you'll go with me in chapter 8 for just a moment, take a little parenthesis here. He says that in chapter 8 that he's the uh, light of the world and again he'll repeat in chapter 9. But pack, back up at verse number um, for just a moment, we're going to skip around. Verse uh, 48 of chapter 8, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? In other words, they were putting him down because a Samaritan was a, not a full Jew. They were Jew-Gentile uh, descendant. Verse 49, Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and ye do dishonor me. And so he's going back and forth with them. And it says there that... Um, they, they ask him, verse uh, 53, Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets? And they say unto him, You know, you're not even 50 years old. Look at verse 57. And thou hast seen Abraham, verse 58. Jesus saith and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. He claimed right there. So when the liberals and the atheists say, Jesus never claimed to be God, yes, he did right there. When he claimed, when he said, I am, they knew what he was talking about. In fact, they knew so much. Look at verse 59. Then they took up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. What did they stone for? They stoned for a couple of things. If they're adultery, they would stone for that. Uh, for murder, they would stone for that. For blasphemy, they would stone people for that. They picked up stones to throw at him, to stone him to death, because they thought he was bla speaking blasphemy. When he said, I am, that triggered them. That got their radar. That turned them red. That sent a flag up. They knew then, this is, he's claiming now, he's, he's uh, raised the stakes here. He's claimed to be God. So it got them angry. So he did indeed claim to be God. And every time he said, I am, he's claiming to be God. I'm the light of the world, the door of the sheep, John 10, verse 7 to 9. Verse 11 to 14, same chapter, John 10, I am the good shepherd. John chapter 11, verse 25, I am two of them here, the resurrection and the life. He puts those together. And then it's John 14, 1 to 6, um, where he tells the disciples, I'm going away. I must, uh, I have to go uh, away. Um, and uh, the way I go, uh, you know. And Thomas says, Lord, how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. John 15, verse 1 to 5, I am the true vine. And uh, he gives the, uh, 
the physical, uh, or excuse me, the spiritual nutrients that we need to grow in grace. Tune-up of John. Uh, just a few things to look at before we close, getting close to the end here. John 1, verse 42, it speaks of um, Peter and his brother, uh, Andrew. Andrew brought his brother Simon Peter to Jesus. And so Andrew forever has been uh, an example of a, of, an, of a soul winner, of one who witnesses and shares the gospel. And after Andrew talked to Jesus and knew who he was, he brought his brother Simon Peter to Jesus. John chapter 3, verse 30 this is John the Baptist talking. The, the Apostle John records what he says, and he says this about himself and his ministry. He must increase, but I must decrease. What was he talking about there? Well, from the standpoint of his ministry, he knew his ministry was about to come to the end because he was sent to proclaim the, the Savior, the Messiah, to proclaim the Lamb of God that will take away the sin of the world. And once he showed up on the scene, he knew that he was going to be going kind of into the shadows and that his ministry would be come to an end because that was exactly what he was called to do. It was prophesied in the Old Testament that he would be the one who was the herald, the proclaimer, the Messiah. So he says he must increase. His ministry is going to grow now, but I must then decrease. I'm going to be back in the shadows. And sure enough, he ends up in prison because he sticks his finger in Herod's face and said, you sinned in what you did. And uh, he, he ends up getting thrown in prison and he ends up being martyred. But from a practical standpoint, that's a great verse about spiritual growth. He must increase in our life. We must decrease. The battle in, the, in, in everybody's life is, is allowing the Lord to control things and self not to be so much in control. Chapter 4, verse 22, when Jesus was at the well talking to that woman, he tells her salvation is of the Jews. And I uh, don't know if she realized what all he was saying in that statement till later. But what he's saying is God's plan of salvation came all the way through from Abraham. Actually, from way back before Abraham. But it's of the Jews because Abraham and his descendants through Abraham would come uh, eventually the, uh, the Messiah, come through the line of Judah. And so salvation is of the Jews. In chapter 6, verse 68, some of the disciples... Now, there were other disciples beside the 12. It's a, a disciple simply means a follower. In John 6, it says some of the other disciples that were listening to Jesus, they saw him heal or do miracles. Uh, but yet, some of them, it says they began to walk away. Uh, things were getting kind of hard, some of the things he was teaching. And so, uh, Jesus asked his disciples, the 12, will you also walk away? And Peter, Peter sometimes put his foot in his mouth, but he said something right here. He said, Lord... To whom shall we go? Because you have all the words of life. To whom shall we go? We can't just quit. We're not going to quit. Now, later on, unfortunately, to deny Jesus. But he said, we're not going to quit. We want to stay with you. Chapter 18, verse 38, Pilate, who's standing looking at truth in a body. <laughs> this is truth he's talking to. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Pilate's standing there looking to him, and Jesus says something to him. Pilate says, what is truth? And he just leaves, basically, after he asks him that question. Uh, it's just an open-ended question. Pilate really didn't want to know the truth, I don't think. But he asked Jesus that question. That is a loaded, loaded question. What is truth? Because we live in a day where truth has become very relative to a lot of people. There's so many places and names, you know, titles, I guess we could look at about Jesus in John's gospel. But in Fuel Up, which is when we talk about his name or who he is in each book, in chapter 1, verse 1 and 14, verse 1 and verse 14, he's called the Word. We saw that earlier. And then the I Am. And uh, that's the Exodus reference that I gave you earlier. And then the seven I am's where he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the living water. Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, home address, which are some great verses to memorize. Uh, the verses when Jesus talked to Nicodemus, you must be born again. All of these are statements Jesus made, in fact. He says to the, or excuse me, to the um, Pharisees, he said, search the scriptures, in them you think you have eternal life. A great, great verse to remember to, to study God's word. John 8, verse 32 and verse 36, he says, you'll know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And then remember later on, we, we saw where later Pilate asks, what is truth? Jesus says, the truth will make you free. And then he says in John 10, verse 10, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Um, Christian life's not meant to be sad and somber. It's meant to be an abundant life that we live uh, here uh, while we're here on earth till God calls us home. Then there's that wonderful promise. I love that in John 12, verse 26. He said, if any man serve me, him will my father honor. God will honor and reward those who serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I had more than I thought. 
John 13, verse 7, he says to Peter, Peter had a question about some things. He says, Lord, we don't understand all this. This is the same night that um, they had what we call the Last Supper. He said, what I tell you now, Peter, you won't know now, but you will know hereafter. And of course, after Jesus rose from the dead, all those things came into to, to understanding. They began to understand those things later. But that's true in our lives. There are a lot of things we don't understand right now. Uh, a lot of things that later on in life we'll understand, or maybe not till we get to heaven. The Bible says, then shall I know as even also I am known. I preached a sermon. It's been a long time. I may preach that again sometime in the future, but about three times since we've been in the building here, I think, um, I preached a sermon call, uh, from, that, from that verse, and we look at different characters in Scripture, and we wonder why after this point in their life did God not call them home? Because after that, things happened that were very tragic, very sad, and God didn't call them home. But there's an answer for each of them and found from that. But that's very true in our life. There are a lot of things we won't know maybe till we get to heaven. Jesus told the disciples, um, he told them in John chapter 14, verse 12, when he's talking about the Holy Spirit, he said, greater works shall, shall you do because I go to my Father. And you think, how could anybody do anything greater than Jesus? Well, it's not greater in the sense of the uh, content of it. It's greater in the sense of uh, the magnitude of it as far as how much is done. Uh, because those apostles in Acts chapter 1 went everywhere. Jesus stayed, remember, in Jerusalem, or excuse me, in Israel. He stayed right there in, you know, in the northern part sometimes, but he stayed in Israel. The disciples were to take the gospel everywhere. So it doesn't mean greater in the sense that Jesus wasn't as good or great as, as they were, but it means in a sense of volume, means, means sense of amount. And that's true today. He can do greater things through his church if we'll just... Uh, um, if we'll obey him and serve him, we have means now to get the gospel out that they didn't even dream of then. We have the internet, we have, we have uh, television, radio, all kind, of, uh, all kind of ways to get the gospel out. Everyone that is of the truth, heareth me, Jesus said, John 18, verse 37. And then we saw the verse uh, about Thomas, blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. Told you John was a lot of stuff in it. We uh, a lot, very rich book so much, and we just hit... Uh, some highlights. There's so many things we could look at, but uh, beautiful, wonderful book. So let's stop there. Any questions or anything before we dismiss? Are your fingers cramped? <laughs> There's a lot to, to remember to write down. All right. I'm looking forward to Acts too. That's probably one of my favorite books in the New Testament. I mean, the Gospels, I love them, but Acts, wow. You go from these little, you know, just a handful of these 11 disciples and how the Lord uses them. And um, we'll talk about that next week. So Lord willing. Let's stand close in prayer, then we'll dismiss. Thank you, Lord, for your word and uh, the wonderful gospel account that John gave us. And we're grateful as we learned about our Savior tonight and saw the um, miracles he did, looked a little bit at those and the statements he made. And we see where John, from beginning to end, gives us this beautiful picture of your son as the, as the Son of God. And Lord, as we've seen the other three Gospels, how they fit together. And I hope, Lord, as we've studied uh, all four of them, we have a greater appreciation of how they fit together in your word. And I'm grateful for giving that to us to be instructed and directed and guided. And um, we're grateful for that and the power of your word. I pray that you'll keep us safe as we leave from here tonight, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.